Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi, friends. Welcome to Plow and Hose. Well, it's mid-November, and a damp, cold weekend in Taylor. I think it probably finally feels like fall, where the calendar kind of matches up with the weather. And I'm really not sure how I feel about that. Even though my allergies were kind of killing me the past couple of weeks, I was really enjoying the milder temperatures. But I guess it doesn't really matter because I'm still annoyed by the time change and I don't like the dark mornings and I don't like how dark it gets earlier in the evenings and I don't like not hearing, having near as much time outside and I really just dislike that because working in my garden, really just being out in my backyard is one of my favorite things and that's kind of hard to do when it's dark. Luckily, I work in town, and I usually run home for lunch, and I do get a few minutes to see what's going on in the backyard when it's daylight during the week. I go out there and walk around and just see what's going on. I don't really get a chance to work, but um, I got to say, there's not a whole lot to report from my vegetable garden. Um, I had some broccoli growing, um, and I planted that in early September. But then my chickens got out and ate all of it. Um, I did fix the gate to my chicken yard and I went ahead and bought some more broccoli seedlings and I got those transplanted. Right now they're not very big, but they look pretty nice thanks to this cooler weather and of course the rain. Our part of Central Texas um, did kind of flirt with some freezing temperatures a week or so ago, but we didn't actually get a freeze. Travis and Williamson County um, here in Texas, the average first frost date for us here is November 27th. So we're getting really close. Of course, you know, it could come before or after that date, but that's just kind of the, the average time when we get that first frost. Now, you've probably already noticed that that cold front that came through, any of the cold-sensitive plants out in the garden have likely suffered from the previous cold front that rolled through when the temperatures got down kind of in the mid-30s. Leaves on any fall tomatoes or sweet potatoes or any summer annuals or other cold-sensitive plants that you had outside um, probably got nipped by the cold. Those leaves kind of shriveled up or turned brown, kind of looked dead. Um, since it wasn't a killing frost or a freeze, um, it wasn't really cold enough to totally outright kill a lot of those plants, just um, 
damage the more delicate parts of the cold sensitive plants. I've got some uh, tatume squash vines out in the garden and they have been looking really great all fall, really, really productive. Um, But I didn't get out there and cover them um, when it cooled off. Um, So those temperatures zapped a lot of the leaves. But, you know, it didn't outright kill the vines and I actually ended up with more blossoms the week after that cold. But I'm thinking that after this weekend's um, weather, I don't think they're going to last much longer. But I'm kind of okay with that because I really do have a lot of squash. Um, I think I got about six on my counter. And nobody wants squash anymore. We're tired of it. In my backyard, I planted two areas of sweet potatoes this summer, including one full bed of sweet potatoes. I grew my own slips this year again, and I had so many slips this time that I gave a whole bunch away, and I took some to work and planted them in the flower beds out front where they grew like crazy. Sweet potato vines are cold sensitive, so when we got that last cold front, the leaves got damaged by the cold. Now, they say when the leaves start to yellow and they put on flowers, then that's the time to dig up and harvest sweet potatoes, which is normally about 120 days after planting the slips. I'm, I think that I'm probably closer to 140, maybe 150 days after planting, but I've been watching and waiting for my sweet potato leaves to turn yellow, but they hadn't. And really it's only been like last week that I noticed even a few flowers. So I really had planned to check on them this weekend, but of course it's raining So I didn't want to dig in the garden while the soil is wet because um, you don't want to do that. Uh, Digging when the soil is wet, um, you run the risk of getting your soil compacted because when it dries, it gets hard and lumpy and that's bad and that's not what we want. We don't want hard, lumpy soil. So I'm probably going to have to wait another week before trying to dig them up and harvest them. Sweet potatoes have been um, kind of a hit or miss crop for me. I just never really know what I am going to end up with. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I got to say, I do a really great job growing them. Um, I get, I can get them started. They grow really well. I get lots and lots and lots of vines, but... I just don't know what the t- what I'm going to get as far as it goes for tubers. Um, not until I actually dig them out. And hmm, past few years I've been kind of disappointed. Um, one year we got tons of sweet potatoes, and then not very many. Some years. But because one year I grew a whole lot, I am completely hooked. I know it can be done, so I just keep planting them and thinking that I'm going to get a bumper crop of sweet potatoes. 
it, it's not just that. Um, I think that they are really attractive plants and the leaves are edible when you cook them, they taste just like spinach. So there's that, that's a, a, a bonus. And you know, you know, I grow lots of things that you, I can't even eat. So, um, I might as well grow what I like and who knows, maybe I will get sweet potatoes. Now, I am the only one in my house that really loves sweet potatoes now that my oldest has moved away. Um, I don't really need a whole lot, but I really, I really do want a lot because I can always give them away. I can always find somebody else that likes sweet potatoes. Um, I did end up, so I have like the two beds. Oh, one is completely full of um, the sweet potato plants. That's all I planted in there. And then the other one, um, was just a small section at the end of the bed that I, uh, I had some tomatoes that I had planted and I, um, my idea was I had these leftover slips, so I stuck them in the end of the bed and I wanted to grow the vines and use those as living mulch for the tomatoes and then I thought, well, maybe I'll get some sweet potatoes. And so I had to, I had to dig, dig up that corner of that bed and, um, cause I wanted to put my broccoli plants in that bed. And when I dug them up, I only found one sweet potato, but it's beautiful. It's a, I don't know, it's a really pretty sweet potato. So I'm happy with that. But I'm going to have to wait, like I said, because of the rain. I'm going to have to wait to dig up my main bed. But I also have the ones that I did at work. So um, I had all those slips, and I took those to work. And I'm really curious to see if there are any sweet potatoes out there. I've worked there for three years. And as far as I know, that landscaping company that we use has not added any fertilizer or fresh compost to the beds at all. But those vines grew like crazy, so there had to be some sort of, some amount of nutrition in the soil, um, at least plenty of nitrogen, since that's the primary plant nutrient that supports leaf growth. And, you know, one day I caught the um, landscaping company and asked them if they would um, increase the time on the sprinklers, so I know they got consistent water over the summer. And I did toss out some organic plant food, um, I think once over the summer, but I really don't know what to expect until I get out there and start digging around. Now my boss, my boss knew I planted them out there and he knew I've kind of been taking care of them a little bit. Um, but he hasn't really said much about them since I planted them. But on Friday at work, uh, he did kind of casually bring them up in conversation. We were talking about Thanksgiving plans and he mentioned that he needed to go to the grocery store for potatoes. And during the course of the conversation, he realized that his wife never said anything about buying sweet potatoes. And then he kind of looked at me and smiled big and said, well, if she decides that she wants sweet potatoes, I, um, I'm just going to go out front and dig some up. And um, I just laughed about that. 
And anyway, I thought that that would be just absolutely amazing and hilarious thinking about our VP of the hospital going outside in his dress clothes, digging up sweet potatoes. All right, it's probably just me, but it's really amused me. Here we are in mid-November, and we are so close to Thanksgiving, and not only does that mean turkey dinner with sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie, it also means we are coming up pretty quick on our average first frost for our part of Central Texas, which, again, is November 27th. Frost occurs when overnight temperatures get down to 32 degrees. The average first frost date is the approximate date when we should expect those cooler temperatures. And we have to take precautions to protect plants or just be at peace with letting our warm season plants die. Frost is just frozen dewdrops. It usually burns off when the sun comes up and starts warming up for the day. The problem with frost is that it can damage cold tender plants because ice crystals form when the temperatures drop below 32 degrees. It forms when water vapors condense out of the air and settles on cool surfaces. Pretty much anything left outside can develop frost. But frost damages plants by freezing the water inside the plant cells. This causes those cells to burst and then die. And that sounds a little dramatic. Um... There's no actual explosions, um, just dead plants, or in the very least, brown tips on the leaves. So if you have any cold-sensitive plants or houseplants still outside, you better start making a plan and keep checking the weather forecast. And if there's any chance of the temperatures dropping to the low 30s, Move those plants to a safe space, either back inside your house or closer to the house, where you can take advantage of a microclimate that you may have. Um, a microclimate is an area where the temperatures are slightly different than other parts of your yard or garden. Microclimates are usually a few degrees warmer or cooler, depending on the situation. My back patio is a little microclimate that is just a bit different than the rest of the backyard. In the summer, it's cooler since it's shaded by the patio roof. In the winter, even though you know it's outside, the patio stays a little bit warmer since it's protected from the wind and also the roof and the house. The hard surfaces also retain heat from the day, and I definitely take advantage of this microclimate, and I just scooch my more cold tender plants closer to the house, and I'm able to keep them outside um, a little bit longer. Since the first average frost can come, you know, before or after the 27th, and that's always right around Thanksgiving, 
you know, this is a kind of a crazy time of the year for lots of us. And, you know, moving plants around, um, you know, it's not really the easiest or ideal. Um, so, you know, you may be posting or maybe you're going to be traveling or something, but you still want to keep your plants alive. You can cover your outdoor plants with blankets or sheets to prevent frost from forming on them. That cover is going to trap ambient soil heat and it'll raise the temperature around your plants just a couple of degrees and prevent frost and frost damage. And any old blanket or sheet will do. Just avoid using plastic sheeting if you can. Plastic sheeting, you know, it seems like a good idea for frost protection, but really most of it is just too thin to provide any adequate insulation. But, uh, you know, I guess it's better than nothing. You could use plastic sheeting. If you don't have anything else, you could use that around your plants. Just make sure the plastic doesn't touch any parts of the plant. Anywhere the plastic touches the plant, it can hold moisture against the plant, and that is what is going to cause more serious freeze damage. So sheets and blankets are much better options for keeping your little plants nice and cozy. If you are looking for a natural and sustainable way to improve the soil in your garden without spending a fortune on expensive soil amendments, try planting a cover crop. Cover crops have been used in agriculture for thousands of years as a way to naturally and sustainably improve soil quality. Cover crops aren't just for large-scale farming. Backyard gardeners can plant cover crops too. Planted in the ground, in raised beds, and even in containers, cover crops keep soil bacteria healthy, add nutrients, and prevent erosion while attracting pollinators and other beneficial insects. True Leaf Market offers a great selection of cover crop seeds, including their best-selling all-purpose garden cover crop mix, which is really popular with backyard gardeners. Order online at trueleafmarket.com and be sure to use promo code PH15 to save 15% on cover crop seeds at trueleafmarket.com. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Then head over to Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading the Plow and Hose episodes helps provide me with some show statistics. All right, so the first frost of the season usually doesn't do too much damage to the cold hardy plants. That first frost would have to be freaky cold. Winter squash and pumpkins will be fine. Carrots, leeks, and the cool season herbs like cilantro. And of course, all the cold crops will handle the cold just fine. 
broccoli, cabbage, wintergreens, they actually benefit from the frost. And some people say it makes the coal crops actually taste a bit sweeter. Like I said, all of the winter crops are going to be okay. Even all those baby plants and seedlings, they're going to be able to handle the first cold spell. It's really not likely to be a killing frost. Um, a killing frost happens at 28 degrees or colder. I know it could happen, but you just got to keep your eye on the weather. Even as we get closer and closer to that first frost, um, you can still plant things, but you definitely want to get them in the ground soon. Uh, the sooner the better. Especially if you want to do wildflower seeds, you really have got to get those in the ground as soon as possible. Um, they need time to germinate and get their roots established before springtime. Thanksgiving is really the last date I feel comfortable with putting wildflower seeds in. If you have them, plant them. Out in the veggie beds, there are still lots of things that we can plant. But I gotta say, this time of year, you really have got to like leafy greens because that is what's gonna be most successful when you plant right now. So things like Asian greens, bok choy, and Napa cabbage. You can plant those, cool season greens, kale, mustard, and collard greens all can be planted from seeds. Lettuce, spinach, get those planted during the winter. Radishes. Um, if you like beets, you need to get those planted before the first frost. Um, so you can have a nice crop. They take a little bit longer to grow. They got to get that root established. Onions and garlic can also be planted now. There are basically two ways you can grow onions in your garden, starting them from seed or from onion sets. Onion sets are basically onion transplants. Onion seeds are sold in those little packets like all other seeds. Onion sets are, sol are immature onion plants sold in bundles of little sprouted onion bulbs. They look a whole lot like green scallions that you get at the grocery store. Onion sets come in several different varieties. You can find yellow, white, sweet, and red onion sets. Independent nurseries and locally owned feed stores usually sell onion sets. Local business really do much better job of picking varieties that will grow well for our area. You know, honestly, I, it's been a long time since I've bought plants at a box store, so I don't even know if they, if those businesses sell onion sets. I'd be really surprised if they did, but uh, anyway, um, sweet and red onion varieties are mild, and those are good for eating raw. Yellow and white onions are much stronger, but they are good for cooking. All onions 
are happiest when they are planted in fertile, well-draining soil. So before you plant your onions, make sure to amend your soil with extra compost and organic matter. Soil drainage is really important for onions because if the ground stays too wet or too moist, they can rot and mold will start to grow on them. And rotten onions are the worst. They reek that they smell so bad. They smell like so gross. That smell is right up there for me with rotten potatoes. It's just so gross. (laughs) But anyway, well-draining fertile soil will prevent rotting onions in the ground. So when you're ready to plant, all you have to do is untie the bundle of onion sets and start placing them in a row. Just lay them out on the top of your soil, space them about three to four inches apart. You know, just eyeball that spacing. Most onions don't get super giant, so you can face them, space them fairly close together. After you lay them out in your first row, just poke a hole with your finger down about an inch and place the onion bulb in into that hole and then just cover it up with a little bit of dirt. Make sure that it's firmly in place and stable and then just get on with planting the rest of your onions. When you are done, then you can move on to your next row. Just leave about six inches between the rows. You don't want to plant it too deeply, just an inch. An inch is perfect for your little baby onion plant. If you want to, you can try to stagger your planting. Um, All this means is that you wait a week in between planting. So like this week, you plant a row of onions and then wait until next weekend and plant another row or two. Spreading out the plantings this way will allow you to extend your growing season and you can continually harvest I tend to plant all my onions all at once just so I can go ahead and get them in the ground because in spite of my good intentions, I'll forget them. I mean, one day I fully intend to have my act together and stagger plant crops so I'll continually harvest things, but I'm not there yet. I'm going to forget. So I just go ahead and just do them all at once. But I'm thinking that I might hold some back and take some to work. (laughs) There aren't a lot of insects that bother onions. And if you interplant onions with your other veggies, you could actually repel insects to do like your other plants. So for example, if you have cabbage or lettuce or broccoli, try planting some onions near them. Those little green inchworms and cabbage looper caterpillars can't stand onions. And rabbits also avoid onions too. So having onions in your garden with your other veggies is a great idea if you've got the space. Really, all you need to do is visit your onion plants and check on them every now and then to make sure they aren't having any issues. 
you know, if we don't get any rain, you're going to need to water your onions, but really only just about once a week. If you have a recipe and you need green onions, all you got to do is just go out to your garden and pull up what you need. Onions can be harvested at any size. So if you need a few green onions, just go out there and pick them while they're thin and young. Onions store really nicely. So if you plant a whole bunch of onions and you harvest a whole bunch of onions at once, it's not a big deal because they um, cure very nicely. And when it's time to harvest them, they will let you know. When the bulb is not going to grow anymore, they kind of like sort of lift up a bit out of the ground and then the leaves start to collapse over and fall over to one side and then you just pull them up out of the dirt and you can leave them out on top of the soil for like a day or two um, this is going to let them dry out some and then you'll cut off the tops and brush them off and bring them inside you know place them in a single layer like in a shallow box or a basket and just just let them keep drying and onions will keep for a really really long time as that out as the outer layers start to cure and they'll get that really kind of shiny papery um, outer layers i actually still have onions from the spring and i'm really amazed uh, these onions did not even come inside. They stayed out on my back patio in the corner all summer and all fall. There's a few still out there. Some of them have started to sprout, and I know that some of them have gone bad, but I'm really impressed with that spring harvest. And now that I think about it, I'm really, really impressed. Um, I bought two bundles of onion sets for just a few bucks and I seriously have not bought, I can't even tell you the last time I bought onions. It has got to have been March or April. I don't know. And I, I've had so many onions and I know I've given away some too. So that's really good. I'm a really good onion grower. At least I was last spring I was out running errands recently and I thought you know for being fall it is really quite green it's actually really green thanks to this rain and mild temperatures especially after that long miserable summer the grass has just really perked up but it's almost Thanksgiving and there really isn't much color change in the trees right now. And, you know, I know that Central Texas isn't known for having spectacular fall foliage, but we usually have some leaf drop by now. I know this time last year we had lots of golden leaves on the ground from our big elm tree. But so far this year, it's still of green leaves they haven't started changing they definitely have not dropped yet but I noticed a few trees 
around the yard and down the street. Uh, they're starting to turn a little bit. Um, mainly the hackberries are starting to turn slightly yellow. I know it won't be long, though, before all these trees are leafless and completely naked. It's not my favorite time of year. I absolutely prefer spring and summertime when the trees are lush and green. But, you know, fall is kind of growing on me. I like it okay. Um, but really, it's only because of the leaves that are on the ground. Once deciduous trees are done with their leaves, after they've taken in all the nutrients that they can from the leaves, they start their winter dormancy and all the leaves fall off. When the leaves are left on the ground at the base of the tree, the leaves start to break down and decompose. As those leaves break down around the base of the tree, the soil takes in all the nutrients and minerals from the leaf compost. The soil critters and microbes will process the nutrients even more and then the tree's roots are able to absorb those nutrients. It's this whole big wonderful nutrient recycling circle. The trees make the leaves, the leaves give the tree food and energy, energy through photosynthesis. When the leaves die and fall to the ground, the decomposing leaves feed the soil, which feeds the tree that makes new leaves in the spring. It's amazing. I'm always so amazed by nature. And then some folks, folks see all these leaves on the ground as just a mess and it annoys them and they start raking up and bagging up all the leaves and put them out on the curb with the garbage. And it drives me bonkers. It drives me crazy to see all these leaves go into the landfill. Because leaves are so awesome and they're underappreciated and underused as a low-cost, earth-friendly, organic gardening product that's free. Putting leaves in plastic garbage bags and burying them in the landfill is insane to me. It is so wasteful, a waste of space, a waste of resource. Plus, it can take anywhere from 10 to 1,000 years for those plastic bags to break down. And I really, really hate seeing mass quantities of compostable material going to the landfill. And they break down really, really quickly if you would just use them in your garden. You can use them as mulch in your flower beds. You can make a pile next to your compost pile. Compost piles need both brown and green plant material to break down efficiently. If you have a little pile of nothing but leaves next to your compost pile, you can use these leaves as brown material. Later on in the summer when brown material is hard to come by. Lots of small creatures and critters depend on 
leaves too, because they're little mini ecosystems that the leaf litter um, provides in the fall and the winter. Small lizards, caterpillars, bumblebees, they all overwinter in the fallen leaves. Lots of moths actually disguise themselves at dried leaves and they hide in the ground. So if you have to rake up the leaves for whatever reason, don't just bag them up and set them on the curb for the landfill. Relocate them to your compost pile or use them as mulch in your garden. If you don't want to use them for mulch or you don't need them for your compost pile, you can always just leave them in your yard. Just mow over them. The smaller the particles, they're gonna break down really quickly and they will feed your lawn. All the nutrients from the leaves also feed the soil microbes and healthy soil makes for healthy lawns. Leaves are really, really great and they are free. So if you have been in the habit of raking and bagging leaves, maybe you can reconsider instead of sending them to the landfill, use them in your compost pile or try mowing them over this year. Save them and use them for mulch later. Save them and use them in your summer compost pile but use them, take advantage of them because they are free. All right, thank you for joining me today. I hope you guys have a lovely week and a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Bye. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.